I'm Pinky and I'm Lucy and you're listening to Thank Folk for Feminism. Hi welcome we're excited that you're here and wrapping your ears around this today. We're also excited because on the 8th of March it's International Women's Day and we wanted to give a shout out to all the fabulous women out there that we know and work with and and are inspired by. Um, In honor of International Women's Day Pinky I wanted to ask you this I think it's a good question hopefully you'll like it. What kick-ass feminist icon are you going to channel this week in honour of International Women's Day? Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> I knew you'd like it. Oh, I feel like that question could like cycle through an ever-changing list of wonderful women on, I was going to say daily, but I think possibly hourly basis. Um, hard choice, I think, currently between Angela Davis Roxanne Gay and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I think I'm going to go with Ruth this week, predominantly because the thing that always stands out for me about her is that comment she made about it only being an issue in the Supreme Court when it was filled with eight women. To highlight the fact that it's been filled with so many men for so long as just such a culture shift, such a change in narrative, right? And something that I think the folk industry could really look at, you know, we talk a lot about balanced lineups and about 50-50 and, you know, sometimes I think, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be 50-50 for a while. Maybe it needs to be 75-25 for a good long period of time. Um, <laughs> just to it. reassess the balance of things. I really like that. There are all good answers. You couldn't go wrong channeling any of those women quite frankly no and many million more right how about you who's on your list of women you're going to channel this week oh well I've had a chance to think about this while I was cooking up this question for you and uh you know what I can't decide between Carrie Fisher just the legend that she was god rest her and Lisa Simpson (laughs) okay (laughs) because right Lisa I think growing up, she was probably one of the only uh, feminist characters that I encountered as a child. And some of the brilliant things that she came out with beyond her years and the rubbish she didn't put up with and how she couldn't see herself following in the footsteps of Marge serving daft Homer and uh, putting up with all of his ways of being. And I remember she always used to say like, why when a woman is confident and powerful, do they think that she's a witch? (laughs) And I just thought, (laughs) obviously I didn't have a wide understanding of that, but but it's always stuck with me. And I think that she's a really, a really fun one. So yeah, I'm going to be channeling Lisa. That's my plan. (laughs) I love it. And I love, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? How we think about, you know, those intersects between mothers and daughters and what that means and how Lisa will or won't channel Marge you know which leads really nicely onto our theme this month right so this month we're exploring um, music is my mother which is looking at musical heritage passing of the tradition and the juggling of being a mum and working in the music industry this is one really close to my heart as a mom working in the music industry I really wanted us to throw up this conversation and I was so pleased when the fabulous award-winning tremendous human that is Nancy Kerr agreed to have a conversation with us on this topic we hope that you'll enjoy this interview she was an absolute pleasure to talk to a font of knowledge 
a singer-songwriter whose awakening of radical folk mythology as a backdrop for contemporary, often political narratives is just so inspiring to me. She's a multi-instrumentalist, a tremendous interpreter of traditional song, and just a great person. Here's Nancy Kerr. With six BBC Folk Awards to her name and a back catalogue that spans more than 25 years, Nancy Kerr is not only a renowned musician and singer, she's a lecturer in folk music and a member of multiple folk supergroups, including the Full English and Malmaria's Quartet. Nancy, it's an absolute honour to talk to you today. Thank you so much for making time for us. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks for asking me. I'm thrilled. So part of the reason that we um, looked at you as one of our early guests, Nancy, was um, spotting stuff that you had been putting, particularly on social media, I think, about the impact of the pandemic on um, mothers in the folk industry and what that's done. Tell us about that. Yeah, I did, didn't I? I got... um... Yeah, I got quite vocal about that at one point where that was um, becoming very obvious to me. So I, I guess the first thing I'd say, I haven't really thought about this, but what I really want to say first of all is, so the pandemic has hit women and marginalised groups in a massive way, right? And so the more you already had societally um, built up against you, uh, you know, systemically, um, the harder it's been and the, yeah, the harder it's gone. So I don't want to talk in a way that people might not think I know that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I just, so I know that, I totally know that. And I also know, like I've just been listening to um, a podcast called Strange Country where they do a thing about how, how great it is to be a woman. And their thing is like, you know, so you... You, you're a woman, you decide you're going to have kids, but then everything you do is wrong. But then the other thing that you do is wrong is to decide not to have kids. So I think there's that as well, like that idea of I'm not um, special pleading for, for, for parenthood in, in that particular way. But what I'll say is to make it really personal, which was that I think everyone in my industry, just like all industries, has had this kind of grieving panic process where they realise their industry is really um, damaged by the pandemic and that we, we're really damaged by it um, economically. Um, and so my moment of realisation, my moment of grieving l- like that was when my final gig, like my final, okay, you may do a live gig. Shall we go for it? Shall we make sure it works? let's just go with it and then that was cancelled and the reason it was cancelled was because of the different kind of childcare bubble situations and the fact that i don't have my body of amazing uh friends family around me to help me and they are the people that allowed me to be a working mum on the music scene right so i now can't access that and again i'm not saying that's um different or worse i'm just saying that was my moment my moment of realization that my job was over in that respect for this year was because i couldn't be a working mum you know um and and actually what's weird uh, and actually i shouldn't say it's weird but what what then kind of rippled out of that for me was that that made me think about how difficult the last 10 years have been pre-pandemic being a working mum on the music scene and how that actually isn't integrated and how I'd normalised 
the real difficulties that we go through and the compromises that we make, I'd just normalize that. And I think I'd start slightly internalized this idea that I'd had kids and that was a bit in the way of everything um, music wise. And that I wasn't really welcome in music places with my kids. And now the additional sort of, I need to be a family person as well as providing music as a service was an extra barrier to me um, participating really. So that's a really long way of saying it was a, a personal gush that I put out there that then made me remember how hard and how marginalized um, I, I had felt, you know. And that, I mean, that echoes very much prior conversations with people like Peggy Seeger, right, about, you know, if we move out of this pandemic and go backwards, back to the old normal, actually, that's not a good normal. Like, mm -hmm. it's still not an industry or a world that's good for women. Isn't that true? And I've, I've had this very stark, um, yeah, revisiting of that. I mean, I, well, I guess we'll talk at some point about where I'm coming from as well, like what my background is and what my understandings are and why I bring these particular perspectives to things. But I know about, um, you know, the idea of equal pay. I know about the idea of being, you know, rewarded for for domestic and child rearing stuff. That's where I come from. I come from women trying to knit together the personal and the political and be valued for any of the work that they do, you know, whether it's in a so-called professional sphere or whether it's in the home, etc. I know that. I know the emotional labor thing, but I really hadn't worked out until I didn't have a performance job to do. I hadn't worked out how many jobs I was doing in the normal times, in the before times. I was about 10 people. And so now I have lost one of those people and I'm still doing a massive amount. I'm possibly doing more. So, and I think that's probably people's experience, not just women, but people in caring areas, people in um, self-employment sort of spheres where you never stop. I don't, you know, maybe there are people with really great work life boundaries, but I don't know them. I'm not them. <laughs> So, um, you know, and that's the thing. It's like, who was I before? How on earth did I function? And I think I did it okay, but I probably was heading for some kind of burnout. And, and I can't be the only one who is now looking, you know, at a hundred concerts having been cancelled and I still don't have any time. <laughs> that's what I'm working through here. And that's a feminist issue for me because me. This is like an early moment in the interview for me to get emotional, but I just feel like you've just dropped a massive truth bomb in my lap in the best of ways. Yeah. And the bit that hit me the hardest about the stuff you've just said is the internalized struggle and normalizing it because it's very easy isn't it because in many ways the folk scene is a very welcoming space I mean you've done it I've done it we rock up to a venue with our babies we sound check with them in the carrier we're nursing at the back of the room when the support acts on etc and um and actually to kind of just to echo what you've said that has been my year I think where how would I have gigged how did I gig in the previous how did I do it I wild <laughs> so I was saying it Lucy I was thinking that's your that's your present too you know and it's my very recent past and I think it's possible to glamorize it and I think that's part of the sort of natural sort of softening of what we do to make what we are doing feel 
feel right and feel coherent and feel healthy because it is we all do okay we do okay but it doesn't mean it's easy and i think we do i i am often as someone a bit further down the line i am now like well do i want to paint something as perfect when actually it's really really tough and could do with changing you know i could have done with some changed attitudes to what it was like having for example let's get real a breastfeeding woman in the music venue i don't think that's a terrible thing to have around things great but i wasn't i didn't feel great about it no i don't i don't feel great about it you do it for your baby but it's hard it, i found that really hard and i was too exhausted and hungry at the time to really, <laughs> you know there's again the sort of systematic kind of structural stuff of that um so you know things will change won't they things are changing and it was not the change we planned obviously but i think yeah you're right now with this um with these kind of forced reflections maybe we all of us in our different ways or it's okay for us to go oh that was rough that was really yeah, yeah and it's often a compromise right it's the if you're working you don't necessarily feel like you're doing the best job by your children if you're doing the best job by your children you feel ne you're neglecting your job in the years since I've had my children, as you say, they're still very young. I've definitely stood on stage and thought, I'm not as prepared as I should be for these people that have kindly given their time and their money to spend an evening listening to my music. And it can become um, <clears throat> like a cycle of uh, just difficulty. How do you find find the balance? Yeah, just, uh, oh, this interview is already just wonderful nancy you're amazing i love you <laughs> you are we all are um d did you find though uh, that is so interesting about what you say about the kind of um the creative kind of preparation and creative uh, master mastery that's a male word isn't it but, you know um uh, the kind of virtuosity that you're putting out there and the i can do my job thing did you not find that was there something about having being a, a mom, being a parent that fed into that in a different way though, because it definitely did with me. And I don't know what that is about, but I think that, well, there's lots, isn't there? There's lots of kind of new meaning and depth, but actually in truly kind of prosaic, kind of slightly concrete terms, what happened to me was as soon as I had children, I had two quite quickly, one after the other, I never really stopped gigging because um, it was doable. It didn't mean it was easy, but it was also necessary. I didn't have any maternity benefit or um, wasn't eligible and didn't have any savings or, you know, freelance musician didn't. Yeah, yeah. We just kind of went on. But I, um, as soon as I did that, it really, I felt a thing about my um, creative practice really lift. And what the lift was, was my self-judging. So I didn't, re I knew that I was a good enough musician to do what I needed to do. And a lot of the anxiety about, well, almost all the anxiety about what I was doing creatively kind of lifted and it went on to, am I parenting okay in this? Can I survive this basically? And actually one thing I do, and I'm not glossing it, one thing I do look back on of that time is that is that, that was really positive because there is, you, you can't be a complete, 100% corporate audience pleaser. Some people aren't going to love your music. Sometimes you're going to make mistakes on stage. These are going to happen whether you're anxious about it or not. So mm -hmm. I just ditched the anxiety <laughs> of extreme fatigue um, and anxiety about other things. But I do remember standing on stage, playing, singing and scanning the audience for where the beautiful childminder, auntie, mum, whoever was with the baby, whether the baby was okay. I was not overthinking the music i wasn't thinking the music and i quite like that that intuitive space i've kind of kept i kept that 
you know, from those um, delirious early early baby times. So, you know, that's something, isn't it? You go into a space, a meditative space, maybe. For I don't sure. Know, but yeah. <laughs> no, that, that, that's absolutely lovely. And I think that there is something about, uh, you know, just you don't have the time to overthink so you are able as you say to kind of drop into this kind of more um raw immediate way of creating which is just really fabulous so um musical history you know musical heritage i think is the phrase yeah. i'm looking for yeah. obviously your mom a folk musician yourself a folk musician now on the front page of your website there's a video of you singing with your son um you know obviously music seems from the outside like it's perhaps a second language to you folks yeah yeah it i think it it is it was for me um i'm so grateful that i had it really i had so Mum, it's interesting, isn't it? It's always been in all of our families. And now watching my children express it in their way, like I'm not really pushing them in any particular areas. And they're, they're kind of just sort of blooming in the way that they want musically. And it's, it's so exciting to see. Um, but it's not what you would plan, which I think is how, how it should be. But that's made me then think about the influences that went into me and then the influences that went into my parents, who were both musicians you know I kind of I slightly compartmentalize it which is not really accurate but mum gave me lots of song and my dad gave me lots of instrumental music but actually they both gave me lots and they were both very tied in to the folk uh, British folk traditions in in different ways in different settings and also music as um political activism I think so it was all well I know it was all very embedded in the same thing so it was a a lens in the same way that feminism is you know a lens a way of analyzing things they their politics which included feminism was this you know you you saw music you sang music through that um that that kind of filter as well so that all went into yeah went into me and i guess is coming out in its own way um via our kids and that's very very echoing of james's experience ten thousand miles across the sea as well so well, and it's interesting because that's also an echo of a conversation that we were having just before you joined us today, Nancy. We were yeah. talking about kind of our own um, upbringing with music and what that meant for us. And I was, you know, talking about the fact that I was brought up like quite literally on a diet of folk music over the dinner table. So we yeah. would consume dinner and have an album playing in the background. Um, yeah. Me and my brother, both the same you know, range of stuff that we listened to that actually gravitated in very different directions. Yeah, so yeah. Kind of embraced and wanted, you know, and I guess, you know, that, you know, you talking about that with your children, right? Like that they are kind of gravitating in their own way. So it's this weird, what's the nurture, what's the nature aspect? Isn't that lovely though? Because that, like you say, you have the music on all the time. It's going in. I mean, our youngest it, singing is definitely like his thing. It's just natural to him. He's really good. And I remember him as a baby, just pitching along with anything, like any like orchestral things. He'd be singing this part there and then that bit because he didn't know he couldn't. It was that sort of lovely freedom that youngsters have. But I still think that thing in the background, just that it's there is building something. And I was really, I was grateful, practically grateful for that as a, um, a parent bringing up children and getting them to talk and sing. And it was all intertwined, which we know, we know that is 
good stuff for our brains um but it's you, there's a difference between knowing it abstractly and then observing it in yourself or in you know watching the, the kids or whatever so yeah it's that's that's absolutely part of it my i think i quite liked i think my brain quite welcomed the particular patterns of it as well i think that i wasn't i'm an only child and i wasn't massively social or particularly sort of chatty um, and so i think that those um the comfort of those sort of uh, motifs and sort of archetypes and patterns and the pleasingness of the sort of i wouldn't say mass because i can't do numbers but it's that sort of um methodical looking at music and kind of tetrising it together was really that was my education meanwhile i wasn't really amazing at the kind of formal stuff but that that was my i made my own little world and formality and my children are doing that now as well so it's really as a music teacher it's really interesting to watch people sort of um what do they call it like niche pick what they want to learn and get very good at that and like go ahead at that and it's not really how i was how i thought music education worked or how we learned things but it's lovely and it's massively tied in with emotion isn't it and memory and and relationship um so yeah it's just such good stuff and not just folk music just music but there is something very elemental i think that that drew me to the um to those stories and to those like yeah those musical patterns um so that's that is what runs through the family and it's not just the blood family for me it's very much the extended family and the connections you make when you're young so for example i don't mum's a huge influence on me i'm not sure she'd be doing what she does without peggy seeger and so peggy is you know i consider her um ancestral music even though we're not related and it's those especially i think feminine and also kind of yeah feminine and gender based sort of legacies where you meet people and you go your experience is so important to me and your story is going to be really important to me so i was thinking there was one way i said before about how sort of politics and feminism is kind of embedded in music for me and there's one way of that which is that i, I teach voice and i think about singing all the time and how we make sounds and stuff and uh, i was thinking the other day that not only have i got a mum who's a singer but i also mum sang with a, a harmony um group called sisters unlimited feminist harmony group and they're fantastic and they sang for years and years and years and each of those women who are kind of my aunties but they're my aunties in that sort of extended family musical kind of sense um, but they each have a voice that kind of sums up something about I guess about womanhood and empowerment but in, in completely different ways like they're completely different voices some of them are very silky and some of them break into two voices and some of them are really earthy and and I had that I had that as my well language like you say I had that as my um un, like non-verbal kind of recognition of that's a thing that's how a a woman can sound and so is that and so is that and that makes me think of this, that sort of idea of representation of you can't be it or understand it until you've you've seen it or heard it and so yeah i was just so lucky to to see and hear all of that right just just a, a privilege a very yeah it's the musical equivalent of growing up with loads and loads of books around <laughs> well you of course grown up on the folk scene began performing yourself at a very young age and um at I think that's something that I was really keen to explore because as you've said, you're the people that you meet on the music scene become your family yeah. and you don't just grow up together. You grow all together, but then sometimes in terms of 
changing things or being able to look at the difficult stuff um, and discuss it, it becomes like a real family. It becomes hard to see the wood for the trees. It becomes hard to raise it without it becoming, um, you know, what you are known for. Like, you know, they forget that you're a singer or whatever, you know, you're the person that rocked the boat, you know, it, it can, and one of the things that was interesting about the trad stands with her movement mm-hmm. is that many people seem to feel that it was in some way a, um, an attack or a diss perhaps is, you know, attack is quite a strong word, but a diss on like what a family the folk scene is. Um, so I'd love for you to explore that. I'm so ha- not happy, I'm a su- but I'm really uh, glad to hear you say, because I think I was intuiting or getting a sense of that, but I don't think I had concrete, uh, do you know what I mean, evidence of, of, okay, I can see that, but I sensed that attack or that sense of attack as well, and I didn't really know what to do with it, and I, don't, I still don't. So the thing that it makes me think of, though, is uh, there's an episode of Blackadder where he's the executioner, I don't know if you remember that, and he says... Um, they say, oh, oh, I like to keep kind of family atmosphere. And he says, but this is a place of deep suffering. She says, yes, that's what I mean. And <laughs> so actually, that, and I think that's what you, you, part of that, isn't it? That it's that family idea, like I said before, that idea that a family is a great thing and that a family that automatically plays music together is automatically a very glossy, healthy, perfect thing. A, that's not a really helpful um thing to project it's not authentic and i think we do run the risk of that if we play this is a separate question but we do run the risk of that if we are a musical family that everyone thinks we're a perfect family but also just the idea of yeah the family dynamic is not helpful in a patriarchy we don't really want to reflect victorian family values in a a music scene which is supposed to be evolving and contemporary and i think that's one of the things is that sort of the idea that there's kind of this protective quality or is it the sort of denial that anything could ever bad ever happen that's I think I think it's the latter because because as we know from living it from playing in it pinky from you working and writing about the folk scene like it is a beautiful space where there are incredible connections there is uh, amazing people doing wonderful benevolent things you know you walk into any festival site and you bump into a million people you know and it takes you an hour to get to the stage because you're oh hi oh oh, hey oh I've not seen you for ages and I think you know people I felt that people were concerned that because there was this wider movement questioning is the misogyny in folk music are we making a safe space for women and particularly young women to work in they felt like that couldn't be, um, you know, couldn't sit alongside we're the nicest scene in the world. Whereas actually both are true. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's really unhealthy. It's really un, unhelpful and unhealthy, isn't it, to, to have that sort of protective um, kind of self, just the self-confidence, just the arrogance to go, we're lovely it can't possibly that's that's not really a, a functioning cultural scene to me that's a cult that's <laughs> big if you can't question it that's a red flag there's um there's a particular area so i spend a lot of my time with mostly younger students and a lot of them are i would say you know female presenting gender non-binary just the vast majority of my kind of people I work with musically I would say fall into that and so obviously we talk about this a lot 
Um, so that's interesting, you know, because of the, the kind of, I don't know, the kind of new influx of commentary from new generations is always going to be really important. So there's a lot about that, I think. There's, but there's a specific part of that conversation that to me is about um, teaching and about mentorship. Because one of the things, um, and I was just talking about this the other day, and I can't remember where, but there's something about um, that attack, that sense of attack when you question problematic situations there's something as well about how um if you're if you've grown up in our yeah in our great scene there is this model of mentorship isn't there there's often the kind of like i've just said looking for those people looking for those voices or spending time really closely with those people those technicians you admire and observing them that apprenticeship thing that's how i learned to play and many many of my contemporaries did too and there's lots of problems in that setup that's often where really bad misogyny happens that's often where really dark things happen and so you have to be able to question that and that question and that that movement isn't taking the magic away it isn't going to ruin mentorship as a concept or ruin you know to, people aren't going to learn less about music by being safe in it and it's that thing that we used to have again i think it's more a, maybe a second wave feminism kind of dialogue about how places that aren't safe for women aren't really safe for anyone so i think it's that kind of looking at it from that level again i'm not necessarily that that feels new and it really isn't and one of the things i wondered was whether there's we need more intergenerational stuff like you've spoken to peggy i spend a lot of my time wanting to hook up young feminists and older feminists and and similarly you know people from that movement now who had that movement happening 40 years ago and i bet you're not just on the same page um but you know together combined i think you're a real a real force but i don't think um i don't think it's easy in isolation and again that's why i think i'm really lucky like i love the fact that i know so many feminists older feminists second wave feminists and i know that they are also they're really intersectional that they're really you know it's not this kind of idea of it went through that wave and that was about voting and then this wave was about equal pay and now we're intersectional it's not the fight was always there and we always had moments of feeling unsafe and 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 blocked on the folk scene so um yeah safety solidarity in numbers i think hooking up old stories with new stories that's how that's how you bring people down like lots of people have been brought down lately by those different generations of, of marginalized people coming together so i think that's probably not that you asked for an answer because that is one but you know that's 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 what interests me like how do we how do we hook up and um and there are divisions in ideologies aren't there between those groups but how do we heal that or how do we like unpick that um so that we're on the same page well and potentially there's kind of a few things that strike me within that right i think one is this sense of like the trad scene or the folk industry being somehow different to other stuff yeah like if we're talking about it in the family we know most abuse takes places in families that's exactly it yeah also really uncomfortable for society to latch on to right we don't we don't enable that so all the media show is the stranger down the dark alley because it's much easier to think it's out there it happens somewhere else it's not exactly. within yeah these clicks so that's i think maybe yeah. how we break it down but also that sense i think of you know as you say like learning from other feminists but also recognizing that feminism is a really broad church yeah like, there isn't a way to be a feminist no 
one single root cause. Yeah. You know, there was a time in feminism where sexual violence wasn't agreed to be a feminist topic. Yeah. Now it is, and that's moved and that's shifted. Yeah. But I only know that because of the mentorship I've had of older women who've said to me, oh yeah, 50 years ago, we were having a fight about whether or not we should make rape a feminist issue. Yeah, that's right. If you say that now, people go, what? I know, exactly. Yeah. Mentorship is key, I think, isn't it? But as you say, recognising that's where power sits. And so potentially dangerous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I've got, yeah, absolutely. That, That if you go into it with an empowerment aesthetic like an empowerment dynamic to everything so you already have that lens about who has the power and who doesn't have the power you're you're just that little further to to towards clarity aren't you again it's not a fix i've got this horrible habit at the moment that i'm really trying to get out of but i've got this horrible habit just to sort of show what feminine feminism isn't so if i'm observing like i'm watching and listening to a lot of podcasts and you know just observing the world and stuff and i've noticed this in myself that i currently talk about feminism as if it's like a pot of really great herbal like i don't know just some really awesome new herbal maybe like vitamin C, I don't know, anyway, but you put it on, like, I'll just observe, and I'll be like, you know what that, do you know what would have fixed that? Feminism, you know, <laughs> like, scabby arms, you just need a bit of this, a bit of feminism. Can we bottle it and it? <laughs> but the thing is, that, A, that's not very helpful, people don't, that's not helpful, really, I don't think I'm being very helpful in that, but, um, because as I say, it isn't a thing, it isn't a cream, it's a, it's a lens, and it's a, a conversation, um, but I think what, what I'm responding to when I'm like that, and I, you know, I'll do it just to be a pain, um, but what I'm responding to is that I feel like, again, because this is so inside me, it's unthinkable that I wouldn't be looking with that lens at stuff. And sometimes I get things wrong. I get them way wrong. And sometimes there are things I completely disagree. I'm diametrically disagreeing with my own, you know, family and sisters in the world on. And that's part of the conversation as well. And that's feminism, right? Not a cream. But I think when I see the absence of it, I think I have a little panic response or I have a little emptiness. I don't know how you proceed when you don't have that that um that learning or it's not learning but that that um when you're raised with that or when you've lived with it or had that conversation for a really long time so again that's that um sometimes when people make that that observation actually that both of you have just made about say the trad scene and the the kind of misunderstanding of it or the the kind of not seeing of those red flags and those problems um there's a part of me because I was also raised with political music and songwriting that I don't know that I'm looking at the same scene. And I think that's the thing that we, you know, feminism isn't one thing. And actually folk music is so broad. I've stopped even calling it a genre now. I think it's just sort of a weird kind of atavistic urge when people first make music comes out as folk music and then maybe it, you know, becomes something else or whatever, but it's so, so broad now. And I think that as an artist, eventually i found that trad wasn't doing it for me i still love it like i say i love the sounds i love the stories there's lots of stuff that you can find in there that 
works with that those conversations and that people can see themselves reflected but i think it only goes up to a point for me and that's the point where i started writing songs and saying things in my voice that were more me um so yeah i just i guess again that's an that's an empowerment thing that's a, a an ability a confidence to be able to go into that scene and grab it and twist it into what you want and make it what you want and it takes a lot of confidence to do that and a lot of people don't have that confidence and a lot of women and marginalized people are not going to have that confidence because they've had a block the whole way every time they've tried to do it um and i'm really lucky i don't think i had many of those blocks um so i think i feel a bit more um a bit more gung-ho about going right i'm going to make this work for me actually and i'm not going to sing that song because it's gross you know but i am <laughs> and i'm not you know i'm not going to be talked to in that way because i can stand here at this point and and respond and not take it um so and that's my power isn't it that's my um my privilege um so yeah looking at trying to transfer that down the, the kind of power dynamic I think is is maybe my my focus but yeah it's it's a really interesting time it's a really fascinating time and I think folk really needed some of these conversations obviously it did mm. well you say about um earlier you were talking about how there were parts of the scene that seemed really um difficult to be a young a, a, a self-employed mom of young children and seems as we're kind of talking about, you know, how the scene goes forward, having been given this year of forced reflection, you know, are, are there kind of direct things you think should be looked at? For example, there's a lot of conversation at the moment about how a lot of music happens in spaces with um, alcohol and yeah. pubs and how that is a blocker for all sorts of reasons to all sorts of people. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, isn't it interesting, the um, the accessibility um, kind of issues around that as well? You know, I mean, there's plenty of venues that friends of mine could never have gone to um, yes. played in my, my town. Right. And those people have been able to have, you know, I mean, it's still an accessibility technology wise um, issue. But in terms of physical accessibility, um, that's you know, that's I think that plays into that, doesn't it? So um pandemic isolation online stuff has broadened in some ways accessibility and made us realize how broad it wasn't before so i think probably the parenthood thing is echoed in that for me because in the first few weeks of lockdown um i mean i've been it's been a very busy it's been the longest semester known to humans as any teacher will know so it's been a bit tricky to kind of keep the momentum but just in the first lockdown for the first few times when I when we were all getting used to it I sang with and chatted with and heard more music and more people than I ever had before you know and people would say it's funny people go it's nice to see you at our sessions like yeah your sessions in London and I live in Sheffield and I'm singing while I'm putting the kids to bed I remember one night I was making matzos and singing along and then I put the kids to bed and then heard another song I was like this you know what i'm doing now is the reason i haven't been able to do this so that i mean that's not fixable in terms of you know you've got a mama's got a mama etc right but, but there's something there there is some some gains there i suppose some revisitings i don't know i think it's almost like you know in the same way that now if you're doing a i don't know if i'm doing a lecture or even a concert or something and something goes a bit wrong with the tech like it does everyone kind of goes it's built in now in the same way that 
if I, I think I cancelled maybe in my entire career, three or four concerts ever, and they all felt like a complete failing. And then after pandemic, it's like, we cancel things now. We try them and then they don't happen and we all live and it's fine. So that's been a new thing. So in the same way, you know, when you're doing something and the tech crashes and you just find your way back to it. What that makes me think was, why was it such an end of the world moment when my baby cried? when there was music in a bunch of humans in a room. Like, don't you expect human like noises when there's a bunch of humans in the room? So I wonder whether the tolerance of sort of humanity's fallibility might play out a bit. Maybe we could have some more gigs where people, you know, where it's accessible. People are, are actually were, to be fair, starting to do that more and having like matinees of things and where it didn't matter what sounds were there and who was there and what, what people were experiencing so I think that would be that would be a good way to, to to kind of when we go back to it let's go back to a different set of patterns you know and I don't mean to vilify the sort of the the, the um, what would you call it like the paradigm of folk club stuff I love folk clubs I loved going to the pub staying up too late and singing myself hoarse I love that that's really great um, but if that's the mainstay of what you do that's really it's really hard isn't it to make compatible with with bubbers. Um, so I guess it can't be that, but then it wouldn't be that anyway, to be honest, for much longer. Well, it's maybe that. Tinged with sadness a bit, I think. So yeah, as, as all change is maybe. But maybe that, for me, there's something about how do we learn from this? How do we bottle yeah. what has worked? You know, what you're speaking to, I think, is that kind of sense of people suddenly going, oh, we hadn't even realised you weren't at the table before. And it's only now you can turn up that we yeah. know your previous absence or yeah. you know it's only now things are more accessible that we've absolutely accessible. and maybe that works in lots of ways for lots of types of diversity yeah yeah i think that that i can i can only imagine what it must be like to be a way more marginalized section of society than i am because i can feel the little tendrils of it in my way and they're 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 pretty intense so yeah absolutely that's presumably not inconceivable right that we go back to the folk clubs and have technology set up and a live streaming of it for those who can't or don't want to come to the folk club lovely dancing along at home whilst putting their kids to bed or not being in an alcohol space like Absolutely. does it have to be an either or anymore i don't think it does it doesn't and vice versa as well so the two it's a two-way thing so we learn from those community um, structures those settings what's really great like for example I think actually playing for two 45 minute sets with a break in the middle is fab I just don't think ending at 11 30 is great but actually it's a lovely way of and the idea when I I'm, I'm a music or I'm not a music therapist by practice anymore but I, that's my training so my background is very in sort of communal music making and the psychology of that and the, the mental health stuff of that. And so, and when I was training as a therapist, I suddenly had an epiphany about, um, about floor spots and, and clubs and sessions. And I suddenly saw in my own world, my own musical world, I saw all these great, very healthy practices of community musicking, you know, like just gorgeous stuff. Like, yeah, we don't all have to be really great at conversation. We can play a tune. We can play, we can, participate everyone at every level of participation is valid is looked after and is listened to and those are really great things so and i i really i remember sitting in clubs and going oh this is you know i think i'm a bit um kind of 
analyze a bit externally so it took me a while to sort of yeah um uh, kind of join it all up um, but yeah so we're learning from so we have the history of those things but we evolve them so maybe they're in a library if there are still libraries you know that kind of thing or maybe they're in spaces that are different and look different and that means that the people who are in them uh, look different and are different so that that would be my utopia really it's not that much it's a few people singing in a library I think that's we can do that can't we <laughs> Nancy's heaven <laughs> a few people singing in a library but yes completely and I didn't expect that we'd come to this place in the conversation but I'm glad we have because yeah. I think, um, you know, folk, of course, as we're well aware, although in many ways it's blooming and growing, also at that folk club level, there is a crisis of audience numbers dropping, people prepared to run them, uh, you know, choosing to retire and moving on to new things and stuff like that. And I think you've hit on some just like lovely a lovely way for folk clubs and for us as a folk scene to to reflect on how we preserve these special community spaces because yeah. um, i i wouldn't be a folk singer if i accidentally walked into a folk club right. that is how i found the tradition i didn't grow up with it yeah they you know so i much like you i have a, a very kind of personal connection to why i think that they are important and for us not just to have um you know kind of uh art center spaces and all that kind of stuff you know where where does this community root of our scene is so vitally important and it's so vitally important to change and inclusivity because for a lot of people it's their first non-expensive opportunity yeah. to meet the music yeah yeah you're so right absolutely now, what you were saying really did remind me of it's something and this is not very covidy but it's something about that closeness as well um so for me it was watching musicians visiting like amazing virtuosic fiddle players etc visiting from the kind of whatever anglo-celtic kind of world and coming to my little hall or this little village or this little place and sitting literally at their feet and watching what they're doing um and that i mean i wish i could remember what it was like there as a sort of family dynamic but i mean i was a child and i was there and i was welcomed and i wasn't the only child so that must have been a kind of good family you know family music sort of paradigm unless i'm just remembering it utopically which is not not a word <laughs> but yeah so that would be great and and um in australia my husband tells me that in australia the um you know that the club kind of again pattern is much more played out in a sort of a, a community kind of center place it's not um beer and smoking which it isn't here anyway um but it's cake and tea and you know it's more that and not to you know again i like i like a, a pub and a bit of that stuff too but diversity of place i guess is gonna gonna make diversity of people and diversity of experience happen a bit more for sure for sure and if there's a lot of options of spaces people can choose where they feel yeah. safe and welcomed which is absolutely what the folk scene has to offer yeah, um it is yeah i wanted to say that thing of um how the, the setting up i mean what i spent a lot of my 20s and 30s with older people saying to me was 
this is all really great, but it's all going to die unless young people can organise, can make gigs happen. And while I do accept that, I always felt it, I, that was really hard to put into practice for me and my contemporaries because we were working our socks off. We were not stably housed. We never, you know, we weren't settled. So we weren't part of an infrastructure and a community. So setting stuff up of our own back, you know, not like working for something lovely like King's Place or like a local thing. Um, but trying to do that like self, you know, uh, impetus kind of let's get a thing going, let's get a movement going. It was really hard. People did do it. But I found I always felt, well, it's a nice idea that I do this. But there's a reason retired people do this. And it's capitalism, basically. <laughs> so I don't think that's really going to work. It's amazing that your people who are desperately trying to pay rent aren't then going home and putting on a folk event or a folk club. So I always felt that was a bit myopic, a bit hard for people to see why that, why we weren't just all rushing to do it. And there was a little bit of like intergenerational or cross generational kind of resentment for that. It's like we wanted to sing the songs, but we didn't want to um, sell the tickets and put the chairs out. And I think that's been proven really wrong by you know, by multiple um, generations of people coming into this, because I think there are some great movers and shakers, and many of them are, I would say, kind of uh, coming from a feminist place of like we we make this happen because it's it's how we facilitate and how we we break down power stuff. You know, so yeah, so that's positive. I'm very positive today. Wasn't Nancy just absolutely brilliant there? In fact, so brilliant that we couldn't fit everything that Nancy had to say to us in one episode. Um, so we've decided uh, that we are going to bring some of Nancy's audio back for our second episode of the month, which is out on the 17th of March. In the meantime, if you want to find out more about Nancy Kerr, please do visit nancykerr.co.uk. Also on the next podcast, we chat with the brilliant Stevie Smith, CEO of the Americana Music Association UK. Stevie has some fabulous insights of how she's supported women in music over the years and her own experiences of being a working mother in the music industry. At the risk of saying the same thing I always say, please make sure that you check us out on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and you can find us by searching Thank Folk for Feminism. Do make sure in the meantime that you are dropping us your favourite songs on the theme of motherhood for our crowd curated playlist which will go live later in the month. And for those of you who just can't wait for your next fix of Thank Folk for Feminism, there's a fantastic event you can check out on International Women's Day, which of course is the 8th of March, led by the Open University. It's called Women Leaders Within the Contemporary Music Industry, and it looks like it's set to be a really interesting event. Thank you so much for listening to us. Take care. Bye. Bye for now. You've been listening to Thank Folk for Feminism. It's a Betty Beetroot production. Ooh.